Our second lesson comes to us from the book of Acts, the second chapter, and I will begin reading at verse 41. Hear the word of God. It is given to and for you. So those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute all the proceeds as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter has finished his Pentecost sermon and he gives us a snapshot of the communal life of the early church. The communal life, the community. The community of the early believers. Community, community of believers, community of faith, community of churches, it's a word we bat around a lot, community. The idea of community attracts us and it repels us. We long for a life affirming, we, we long for the life affirming benefits of Christian community but we really resist the demands that community makes upon us. To be committed to community, we realize just how much independence and autonomy we might have to give up. And we're tempted to dismiss the whole notion of early church community as quaint and charming even as we yearn for that very same faith-filled living, the living that is connected and attached. But when we are faced with another day of fear, filled with unending violence against LBGTQ plus folks, including last night's massacre, in Colorado Springs. Another day of fear filled with mass shootings, an unending pandemic, an exodus of teachers from schools, the tipping point of climate change. We cannot dismiss this passage because this passage represents what the best of God's people are capable of. Each 
generation, think of this, thousands of years ago, each generation of faith is fed by this passage about those first believers. Because we are, in the end, just like them. We're not quaint. We're not always charming. We are flawed and broken. We are another generation of faith seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance. And in these days and years, we are seeking hope. Tucked into this second chapter of Acts are these seven small verses that give us everything we need to know about what the Holy Spirit can do with us. For these past five weeks, Heath Carter has been leading us in classes in adult education. He's taken us on an adventure in history. You might have been part of the adult education classes. You might have been part of a small group who's using the same text. You might have been in church in these last five weeks or at home, live streaming. We've been preaching from the book of Acts and we've been blending this all together. And Heath has given us a very realistic look at our Presbyterian past, part of the mainline churches, our present, and today our future. He's touched on a lot of our fear. The fear we have about what's ahead for the church, our fear of change, our fear of the other, our fear of a world that's moving too quickly, our fear of a nation intent on dividing itself. This week, Heath has asked us to take a deep breath and face the fear of the unknown. He quotes Martin Marty, who says, well, it's easy to be overcome and overwhelmed by stories of decline and worries about the church and of cascading national and global crisis, we have not been given a spirit of fear. Have we? We have not been given a spirit of fear. We have not. We absolutely have not been given from God a spirit of fear. In the midst of our fear, what we've jumped in today with, the, with Acts and with the early church is that the Spirit's rummaging around in our hearts then and now. The Spirit rummages around in our hearts and plucks us out of our hiding places and releases us from dread. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is relentless steadfast and unyielding because fear or our fear of what we cannot control is the very thing that freezes our hearts and freezes us out of wanting to be together 
So the Spirit of God lays this today at our feet. Fear about the future has no fear, has no place in our lives. Now you may say, oh Lauren, that's really easy to say. Fear has no place in our lives. But the living, breathing scripture that comes to us today, the living word, tells us that it's so. Fear about the future has no place in a life of faith. This soul sickness, it only demoralizes us. And it, it weakens our capacity for generosity. And it keeps us immature and underdeveloped. And it damages our joy. And it's harmful for all the things that we've learned from our text. That awe, awe is a spiritual discipline. Now, I may say that like a Pittsburgher, awe. But it's A-W-E. Are you following me? Awe? Awe is a spiritual discipline that communion and baptism in the waters that we've just splashed in are grace alive. And that prayer is ours to dive into and swim around in and revel in. We believe together. We hope together give our possessions and goods together, distribute the, to distribute the proceeds to all together. What would we do without each other? What would we do? There is a perfect sound and image that brings this text alive for us this scratching of the Holy Spirit who wants to wake us up and get us out of our corners of dread. There is a, a perfect sound and image and it sounds like a whisper. And it turns into, the, whis the whisper turns into a murmur. And the murmur turns into a murmuration. Stay with me here. It's a murmuration of starlings. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's okay if you don't. It's the name given to animal groupings, communities of animals. It's the name given, it's the collective noun that describes a gathering of creatures. You know, a colony of bees, a school of fish, and the names of the animal groupings, there are hundreds of them, I know because I've studied them this week. They are fascinating because they often describe the animal itself. Of course, that's where it comes from. But the names are fascinating. A coalition of cheetahs. Can't you picture them, the cheetahs, being in a coalition? A pandemonium of parrots. Screeching, hollering, talking, it's pandemonium. A coterie, I love that word. A coterie of prairie dogs. 
elegantly gathering in the desert with their teacups. It's a coterie of prairie dogs. And one of my favorites is crows. Now only because I love the kind of books that crows or this animal grouping is part of. Crows, do you know what crow grouping is? Some of you must know. A a murder of crows, yes. I am a reader of mystery. A murder of crows. Can't you hear them? Ah! A conspiracy of lemurs. A parliament, and this only happens at night, in the trees, on the branches, a parliament of owls. Isn't that beautiful? And for those of us preparing for Advent, a crash of penguins. I love it. A crash of penguins. But most interesting to me, truly, most interesting to me are, are the starlings. The small, iridescent birds that fly all over the globe. Starlings are found everywhere. And they are called, in a group, a murmuration of starlings because in flight, they whisper to each other. They murmur. They talk. They do that by flapping their wings. And the murmuring whisper provides guidance as they seek food and as they avoid predators, but they also do something completely amazing. When flying, starlings do it in complete synchronicity. Individual birds flock together as one. It's an aerial ballet. In one coordinated movement, thousands of starlings, sometimes millions, swoop and plunge and climb and plummet. I should have put a video up here so you could see it. Give yourself the gift today and Google a murmuration of starlings and watch the pictures. It's like watching a shape-shifting cloud, a single being and twisting and un unpredictable formations in the sky. It's this, this swirling liquid mass. The birds act as one. The flock is based on staying healthy as the whole. No bird is left for the taking. There is protection in numbers. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The individual starlings do not scatter, but they are able to move thousands of birds changing direction simultaneously because it's the church, isn't it? A murmuration of the church, an assembly called church flapping our wings in glorious praise, swirling and shape-shifting and twisting as we look out for each other and everyone. There was a swirl in the baptismal waters today. Aurora saw it. We saw it. 
murmurs of everyday devotion as we plunge ourselves into teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and the waters of baptism, eagerly swooping into the commitments of selflessness and sacrifice in this very troubled world. It is then, I think, from the perspective of heaven that we look like a flock called church. Because if you think about it, it's a flock, right? Moving, <laughs> swaying in harmony with God, a gift. Not from Peter, does this gift come, no matter how courageous his sermons, and not from Martha, no matter how intense her devotion, or from Paul, no matter how deep and wide-reaching his missionary work, it's a gift. It's a gift with the power to wipe out our fear when we move together. Heart-rending, unpredictable, a mesmerizing gift of the Holy Spirit, given in love, for you, for Aurora, given in love, and I pray, I pray this day that we never, ever forget it. Thanks be to God.